0: Before we begin, let us all take a moment to remind ourselves how extremely fortunate we are to be disciples of the Buddha, to be followers of the path that he laid down for us, and to be in the companionship of the Arya Sangha, as they are the guiding light, those who
1: teach us the only path to salvation to our destination that is nibbana reminding ourselves of this great fortune that is
0: bestowed on us let us all take a moment to pay
1: veneration to the lord buddha and as we do so let us also remind ourselves that this is a promise that we renew an oath that we take a pledge of allegiance to our liberation our emancipation our freedom this is the purpose we are here today To Nibbana and nothing else so before we begin let us bring our hands together and pay veneration to the supremely enlightened one our father our teacher our guide
2: Bhagavato arehato samma sambuddhasa. Namo Bhagavato arehato samma sambuddhasa. Namo Bhagavato arehato samma
1: The further we progress on this path
0: the more we realize that this is the only path and the more we feel that those who are less fortunate who do not have this opportunity will suffer till the end and the lives that they live are nothing but jumping from the pan to the fire every single day, every single moment.
1: I think one day you will realize what it is I say with the same feeling, emotion with which I wish to share these ideas and sentiments with you.
0: But for that you have to be here. You have to be where I am. You need to be able to look back at your past, see yourself in the life that you used to live,
1: and then see what changes happened within you as the Dhamma healed you, and then begin to understand that there is
0: no other salvation. Whenever I
1: walk in front of the Buddha, I realize time and time again that there is no other path. There is no other salvation. There is no other choice. People might think there are choices. People might think there are options. That there are alternatives. That there are other ways
0: of being happy. They're all wrong. Absolutely wrong. Categorically wrong.
1: Every day that passes by where even you might think that there are other ways of being happy, I'm sorry to say, ladies and gentlemen, you are wrong.
0: Ignorance and ignorance alone will give you such conviction.
1: We are not here because there's another choice. We are here because there is no other choice. I'm not a monk for the fun of it or for the sake of it, or for the joy of it, I'm a monk because there's no other choice.
0: I'm a monk because practicing the Dhamma, following that path, and freeing ourselves, is the only choice. I need you to
1: understand this. My purpose of being here is to help you to want to understand this initially, and then to understand it. I need you to realize and open your eyes and begin to understand that if you choose any other path, either now or very soon or someday in the future, you will regret. I mean, regret is what we all do best, isn't it? Every man's story, life story, if they don't have, if they don't come across the Dhamma, ends in one thing and one thing alone, and that is called regret. Just take a moment to remind yourselves about your parents, for instance, your poor parents. If they had everything else other than the Dhamma, they might have thought that they had refuge in the money that they earned, the riches, the wealth, must have lived in opulence. All the properties that they had to their name and their children. They had good children. They had you. And you were good children. But yet, if you were there by their deathbed, if you were there during their last years, you know the story. You know how it all ended. Because if you'd given them a second chance, you'd probably not be here today. So in fact, in some ways, the only reason you and I are here and we've met today is because your parents didn't get the Dhamma.
0: They didn't have this choice.
1: They thought there were alternatives. Extend that thought to other people, your friends, perhaps your siblings. You're here today but your sister isn't. You're here today but your brother doesn't want to be here. By here I don't necessarily mean under this roof in this monastery. I mean on the path, the only path. I can give you a million examples of how people's lives go wrong, from helplessness to destitution,
0: every single day. It starts with a small problem.
1: But any problem, no matter the size, if you seek the wrong answer, what happens? Does it get better or does it get worse?
0: The answer is obvious, is it not? Every problem.
1: I'll give you an example. Let me give you one of the simplest problems you learn to solve.
0: Simple problem, isn't it? Come up with the wrong answer?
1: Wrong only by one. Tell me all the things that can happen in your life, if you get that answer. If you get the wrong answer to that, just start thinking about all the things that will go wrong in your life. You know, you could get murdered.
0: Tell me I'm wrong. I dare you. You could get murdered just by getting the answer this wrong. No? You could get abducted, kidnapped. I mean, what's worse than murder? Walk into a shop
1: where the shopkeeper is a bit grumpy. He's having a bad mood today. You get this wrong. You're not going to
0: walk out the man that walked in.
1: If you get this wrong, And you insist that you got it right. So you don't know that it's wrong. Believe you me, you're not walking out with a loaf of bread. You're walking out
0: without a head. Tell me I'm wrong. It starts with something so simple. And then one
1: after the other, after the other, after the other. If you're on the wrong path, If you find the wrong answer, if you keep looking for the wrong answer, if you keep looking for the right answer in the wrong places, there can only be destruction. Matters not how big or small the problem is. That is the point I'm trying to prove to you here, ladies and gentlemen. So, I appeal to your good nature. I appeal to your intellect and your intelligence. Whether you are a believer in the Buddha's teachings, whether you have conviction in the Noble Triple Gem or not, I appeal to you, please, never ever convince yourself that there is another path to freedom. However hard it might be, however challenging it might be to accept it and then walk the path, never ever allow yourselves to convince yourselves that there is another path to freedom because you will always be wrong. That's it, end of story.
0: Just have a look outside.
1: The prisons are getting fuller by the day. The brothels are being patronized by the day. People looking for answers
0: in all the wrong places. The drug cartels are being fed your children's blood every day.
1: It's got nothing against them. It's got nothing against them. All I'm saying is they're looking for the wrong answers. Everyone's just looking for the wrong answers, whether you are a consumer or a merchant. If you are consuming the wrong answers, or you're selling the wrong answers, or you're manufacturing the wrong answers, you're all at your
0: peril. Behind these words is an ocean of compassion. Trust me. I want to hold you by your neck and dip you in it. I would if I could. If I could beat this truth into your thick skulls, I would do Mm -hmm. it. I need you to understand this. It's too late to turn things around. We can't fix out there. We'll keep trying.
1: Because in and amongst a jungle of wild animals, there may be one or two prepared to be tamed.
0: Them we bring here. Then It matters not whether they're murderers, Or thieves,
1: womanizers, drug addicts. We don't care because we bring them here to give them the right answer. All you need is the right answer. It doesn't matter how far wrong you've gone. But even if you're just starting out with the smallest problem, every day, every step you take on the wrong path is only going to get you into oblivion. So time and time again, I appeal to you. I appeal to your intelligence. I appeal to your merits. By the power and the blessings of your merits, ladies and gentlemen, may you see the truth. May you realize the truth.
0: That is all I can wish for you. If you have the truth, you'll be free. If you don't have the truth, you'll be destroyed. There are first world countries
1: out there. People have everything they want. Everything at arm's length. All the resources, all the facilities, all the infrastructure, the technology. Anything you can want, anything you can dream for. Places where things can happen. All you got to do is have a desire for it and then go ahead and start doing it and things will happen. But even in such places,
0: because they don't have the right answer,
1: people grow from bad to worse every single day. That is why the Four Noble Truths are called the Four Noble Truths. Nothing else is the truth. Simple as. You have no idea how fortunate you are. I can't emphasize that enough. I can't put it in enough. I can't put enough weight on this. If I could say it standing on my head, I would, if it made you feel that there was more emphasis on it. The depth of these words, I hope,
0: ring in your minds. So please don't
1: take this lightly. This is the only thing that will save you. Anything else you might have done in your lives, you know, haphazardly, fair enough, but not this one.
0: This you've got to do with vigour,
1: with a desire, with ambition. Because this is the only problem that can, this is the only answer, this is the so only solution that can actually lead you to a solution. Everything else will just take you astray. We always talk to parents, you know, bring your children here while you come here not just send your children and you stay at home because to us, the mind is a mind is a mind. The mind that suffers is a mind that suffers and the mind that suffers is a mind that can be saved. That's it. I want to show you something. Things that happen in places where they have everything, opportunities galore where there is money, where there, is, where there are opportunities, where, where there are places to go, people to see, all the facilities and all the technology that you could ask for. But I want you to take a glimpse into what is happening to people's lives because they're looking for the wrong answers to the problems that have come to haunt them. Something so, It could be something so simple. Someone has an argument with their spouse. Now they look for the wrong answer. Someone wants something, they don't have the money, now they go look for the wrong answer. See, it doesn't have to be complicated. This is the simplest problem that you can think of, right? Where math is concerned, this is the simplest problem you could think of, but the wrong answer to this can get you killed. (laughs) Agree? Have a look at this and let's have a talk after that. Go. (laughs) States now,
0: it will move further east into the Asian continent, and then, mark my words, it will be available on the streets of wherever you live. Things that you thought were science fiction. Today you see in front of your very eyes. It's spreading like hot cakes. This is what is happening and will happen to people out there because they seek out the wrong answers to life's problems.
1: Most of them started doing drugs because they had a problem. Frustration. annoyance, Anger. Couldn't control.
0: Depression. Okay. Domestic issues husbands, wives, who couldn't make, sort
1: problems out. And then one thing left to, next to the, left, left to the other. People's desires of wanting to have more and then they go spending what the money they don't have, money that they've borrowed. You know, plastic money is not going to make you survive forever. When people's wants and desires go beyond their means, then they fall into a a trap, a spiralling trap.
0: Then depression takes over. When the debt
1: collectors come knocking on their doors, fear, now they have to somehow make ends meet, pay the bills, or they have to run for their lives. And when they run, they're going to end up
0: in places where you don't have people who have the right answers. Whether it's poverty or hunger, ultimately anyone who's looking for the wrong answers
1: now, this is a large population of people that I'm talking to you about. It first raised its ugly head, this particular drug, uh, a few years ago when the pandemic hit. And then that was enough time for it to incubate on the streets of America in a state called Philadelphia. It's, I mean, that's where people go to take drugs. Essentially, because the drugs laws are very
0: relaxed. But now it's in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and very soon it will be on a
1: street near you. To me, It matters not whether it's on a street near you or a street a million miles away from you. It matters that it is accessible to
0: a human being. What you saw was a drug that is used to tranquilize horses, cows and elephants. So imagine the effect of that on the human body. widely and publicly
1: available now. Apparently, one pill of this, which is enough to make that happen to you, can be bought for as mere as a single dollar.
0: Very cheap. <clears throat> you know the inevitable is going to happen, right?
1: I mean, this is not a surprise to you that when I, when I say this, that before long it will be available.
0: I mean, where do we get KFC from? Or McDonald's from? Got nothing against the Americans.
1: Now what I'm saying is, when people look for the wrong answers in life's problems, the further they are from the Four Noble Truths, the closer they are
0: to these things. So once again, I appeal
1: to you, ladies and gentlemen, never convince yourself that there are other answers to life's problems than the Buddhist philosophy.
0: Never. Do yourself that one
1: favor, if nothing else. However difficult it might be, however much it might be a struggle, <coughs> to contemplate and apply the principles of the Dhamma to solve your life's problems, at least be convinced that anything else you do is only going to take you to your demise. At least be convinced of that. Even if you find yourself taking the wrong choice, at least know that you're taking the wrong choice and then go ahead and do it. Never allow yourself to be convinced that this is also okay. If you feel like you want an ice cream, as you, take, as you get into your car and drive up to the ice cream parlor, Get off and buy yourself that ice cream. Just be convinced. Just know at least that you're doing the wrong thing. Today you're buying an ice cream. Next day you'll find yourself or your children or your children's children buying themselves some drugs. Today
0: you stop at the pizza house when you feel a bit peckish. The next day you'll stop at the drug lord's house. You can't tell me, well, one's
1: pizza, the other is drugs. No, whatever you think is gonna solve your problem, you're gonna go for that. A man who thinks that pizza is gonna solve his problem will eventually think that drugs is gonna solve his problem. You just substitute one with the other.
0: Don't you know that pizza's not good for your
1: health? Tell me. Don't you know that it's got so much cholesterol, that it's a killer almost? Don't you know that a bottle of coke is going to kill you one day? There is nothing in there that is worth useful for your health. Nothing.
0: That's why it's called junk food. Where do you put junk? Hmm? In the trash. Need I say more? So if you are okay
1: to do harm to yourselves simply to satisfy your taste buds, in other words, your mind because it seeks pleasure, then what proof do I have? What evidence can you offer me that one day it will not be with a drug? Because time after time after time, ladies and gentlemen, people, they find themselves in a myriad of problems. You know how complex and complicated life is out there, don't you? Just think of yourselves a few years ago, before you started taking your baby steps in the Dhamma. How
0: complicated
1: life was. All the issues that you had in life, all the frustrations and the bothers and the annoyances that you had in life, and how you had to balance so many things it was almost like walking on a tightrope one slip and that was it you got the bills to pay you got the children to look after they're at school with all sorts of
0: people people are saying things about your other half All these
1: problems you had to endure. And when it just gets far too much to handle, then were there never situations where you chose to go to bed just because you wanted to forget your problems? Honestly. Rhetoric question. I don't need you you to nod your heads or give me any answers, but you know the answer. Weren't there days in your life where you thought, you know what, I just can't take any of this anymore. I'm just going to go to bed. So even then, you had problems that were overwhelming. Just the the mere weight of it was just so overwhelming. You were were not strong enough to carry the burden of those problems. So there were days like that, weren't there? Those days, you tranquilized yourselves by going to sleep. But today, these people, they're homeless as well. So they have no place to sleep. They sleep rough. But that's where it starts, but eventually it gets not just to the slums
0: but also to the high-rising buildings. From the people who have nothing to people who have everything.
1: They'll take it in finer quality doses, more expensive, better quality, but the same thing. But you remember when those days you had in your life where you thought the answer to the problem was just going to go and, go and get some sleep. So you could just forget it for that duration of time. And then when you woke up, were the problems all solved? No, they were just the same, weren't they? So what are these people doing? Exactly the same thing. They have problems and they don't have answers. So they drug themselves to sleep these things will knock you out flat for a few, few hours four, five, six hours sometimes I mean they could burn
0: you and you wouldn't know I mean he said it, it's used to put down horses <laughs> what you expect so here we are So why do we make every
1: effort to learn another language? Why do we make all this effort to share the Dhamma with as many people as we possibly can? Why do I ask you to learn another language? So whatever you understand in the Dhamma, you can take to someone, anyone, because anyone is a potential victim. Either you will talk to them first, or someone else will talk to them first. If you get to them first, then it's their win. If someone else gets to them first, and they've got a problem when they meet...
0: Continued usage of this drug results in a condition called necrosis
1: which is the death of living tissue. People end up with sore wounds all over their body. They just don't know where it comes from. But one morning they look at themselves, their arms, legs, usually those places in the extremities.
0: Rotting flesh.
1: So over a period of time, as you continue taking this drug, that happens. And then people are left with no choice but amputation. knowing that they still take the drug you don't believe me watch this
3: well first it was fentanyl now it's another drug infiltrating the drug supply of philadelphia with a host of disturbing consequences it's called trank action news investigative reporter chapadelli sits down with an amputee who shows us the impact trank is having on drug users and doctors and a warning the images you're about to see are graphic Brooke Petter has already had a leg amputated. No, 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 no. Now she's worried she may lose an arm. Very dear, my tendon. She's among a growing number of users impacted by drug suppliers lacing the fentanyl and heroin supply with the animal tranquilizer, Xylazine, or Trank as it's called on the streets we walked the streets of Kensington's open-air drug market to see its impact. That's
2: necrotic flesh. That's actually,
3: this actually looks phenomenal right now. We probably didn't start seeing Trank until maybe three or four years ago. Dr. Joseph DeRazio is a Temple University doctor and an expert in addiction medicine. He says initially, people like Petter never knew Trank was in the drug supply, but now they do as it's in almost all of the opioid supply in Philadelphia. Derazio says Xylazine mixed with an opioid can create a stronger effect. It's really cheap. Here's the thing, Xylazine is an unscheduled veterinary drug. Uh, it's very easy to obtain, it's not illegal. Derazio says Trank causes fast-moving necrotic wounds, mostly on extremities and not necessarily at injection sites. Necrosis is the death of body tissue. I think we're still in the infancy of understanding this drug. Trank causes heavy sedation. People who inject or snorted are often knocked out for hours on end. While experts say it hasn't led to a surge in overdoses, it causes other withdrawal symptoms, like extreme anxiety. Trank is heavily concentrated in the Northeast, but Derazio says spreading nationwide. This is wound cleanser. So we- Outreach groups like Prevention Point in Kensington and the Philadelphia Health Department are now deploying pop-up medical units to help care for wounds. Too often, they say, wound sufferers are hesitant for help due to the stigma, but the loss of limbs is changing minds.
0: These are They're awesome. serving upwards of 75 people a month.
3: Brooke Petter continues to care for her wound, but still uses, despite knowing Trank is in the supply. Her prognosis, still very much uncertain.
2: I mean, you don't know how hard I've worked to make it get it to be this good right now. This is.
1: She knows what it's done to her. She's had her leg amputated
0: and she still uses it. Because the problem's not gone away. So she's still looking for an answer. She's done so much drugs that she's had to have a leg cut off, hoping that that will give her the answer. She's still not found the answer. She's still looking for an answer. Who's got the answer? (laughs) Wake up ladies and gentlemen. I ask you the question, who's got the answer? What are you doing here then? Now you see why we are so keen? Why we want to do something? These are human beings. They're human beings. Brothers and sisters. I'm saying very soon, this is going to be,
1: not America, but somewhere more local. It's spreading nationwide, as the, as the specialists, the doctors are saying. So nationwide is very soon, worldwide. Because it's so cheap, so easy to get to, unregulated, it's available, you can buy it on the street. In, in that state, Philadelphia, uh, some videos show police officers, they're walking along the street. Not um, They don't arrest the people who take the drugs. What their job is now is to go and give them medicines and sometimes wound dressings. In, plenty, in many videos, the doctors go and ask, shall I t- have we take you to a hospital? It's come to that point. Some charities, now, you know, the best they can do now is to give these people new and clean injections, syringes, so that they don't use the same
0: syringe. See, it's gone past that point where you can turn it back. So if you can't beat them, join them. That is what some of those charities are doing.
1: and I mean, God bless them, as they should. Because if you can't stop them, at least you can stop the widespread diseases.
0: I'm talking about our next generation. I'm talking about your children. They're out there. They're in the schools.
1: They're in the international schools. They're in the government schools. They're in the private schools. They're in the public schools. They're in the tuition classes.
0: Right now, they're studying math. They're studying science and geography, physics so that they
1: can better themselves. So that they can go on to become successful people. But that doesn't stop life's problems coming
0: their way. And when it does, they'll start looking
1: for answers. Math doesn't solve those problems. I ask you, how much is one and one? You can give me a simple answer using math. But I ask you, your wife's got Uh, is in a relationship, with an illicit relationship with somebody else, how do you solve that problem? With math?
0: The debt collectors are after you, and they're at your neck. Now the fear that
1: something might happen, that they might do something to you, Shall I give you something more realistic? Your daughter
0: is good looking. She looks pretty. Isn't that nice? The vultures are after her. And they want a piece of her. But on this basis, if I can't get, nobody should. <laughs> hmm?
1: If I can't have her, nobody should. Because that is the mindset that people have now. You know, our youth, they grow up with computer games, don't they? And in the computer games, if you can't have it, then nobody should. Apparently, you know, they're so, so benign, so harmless. I hear sometimes parents saying it's alright, you know, it's not like they're really killing people out there. It's just a computer game. What's, what's the deal? Well, a kill is a kill because mentally it's a kill. And theft is a theft, however grand or minor it
0: might be. This is what we are training our youth to be.
1: Thieves, Burglars, mugglers, philanderers, womanizers, drug dealers,
0: basically animals, worse than animals.
1: I'm telling you science is not the answer. You can put them into the best schools in the country, that's not going to stop this. In fact, if you did a research, those stats are never in the papers. Because the police don't go raid
0: 50 million, 60 million, 100 million dollar homes. They're usually out on the streets. Petty theft.
1: That is what they are after. And when they catch criminals engaged in petty theft, it is done because they need just something to get today's dose. They don't have much. So they get arrested, taken into the stations, police stations, into the prisons, and those numbers get reported. But what about the
0: drug lords? What about the people who do it on a massive scale? whose actions go unnoticed, unreported,
1: they spread havoc. I'm not saying we've got to go after them. Don't get me wrong. We're not here to cleanse the world. We are only here to cleanse minds. And particularly if someone does it once, right, and they found solace in that, if they haven't come across the Dhamma, no matter how, far, how long you keep them incarcerated, the moment you let them out, they'll go back because they still have the same problem. And putting them in a prison cell didn't give them the answers.
0: They still had the same problems. That is why I say to people, they need the right answers. They need the truth.
1: You know, let's imagine we brought a bunch of people here. Let's imagine yourselves, right? We brought you here and we taught you about drugs and how much damage it does to you mentally and physically, right? But we don't help you to become a Sotapan or at least put you on the path to liberation. <clears throat> you know, all that, teaching, all that teaching, all that knowledge is only going to be with you until your death. After that, it's back to square one. So, how many times must you teach a man not to take drugs? Hmm? How many times must you teach a man to not, take, not, to not take drugs? Every single time. But if you can help him find the right answer, you've only got to do it once. He's free. Now that is why we are asking for trouble. You know, we are always asking for trouble at this monastery. You know, never does it seem
0: enough. We are a glutton for punishment, always asking for trouble. I won't be surprised if before long, you know, we have a, a delivery ward somewhere here. Then it'll be literally from womb to tomb. Everyone is serviced. I mean, because I mean,
1: we don't know how, how far is enough when we stretch our arms and embrace and try to help people. You know, there's always a few that get away. There's always a few that get away. If it's not the too young,
0: it's the too old. They get away. If it's not the men, the women, they get away. If it's not the rich, the poor, they get away. If it's not the innocent, the guilty, they get away. That's why it never seems
1: enough. But I'm asking you to step up to the game. You all have a role to play. You know, in your communities. You you, you think I, I find it fun to go on a Sunday morning to do another sermon? Leaving this monastery is one of the worst things (laughs) for me. This is my home. This is where my heart is. And this is where, you know, people come here because they want salvation. But when I leave those gates, you know, that is no longer natural for me. I'm out of my natural habitat. It feels so alien. Whenever we go out, I just want to come back as soon as my... Either legs can carry me or the driver can take me back. I don't do it for fun. Trust me.
0: <laughs> I do it because I have to do it. Somebody has to do it. Somebody. What I have to do, I have to do. But madam, what you have to do, you have to do. Madam, what you have to do, you have to do. Sir, you have to do, you have to do.
1: If in serving others, we serve ourselves, then what you have to do, you have to do. They need help. And I'm, I'm showing you, these are the telltale signs of a massive problem that's going to overtake entire communities. It'll be on
0: our streets very soon. Not my words.
1: And when it comes, it's going to hit us like a tsunami. Because it's going to be cheap, cheaper than drugs have ever been. It's going to be so cheap, dirt cheap. It's going to be available, people, accessible. One phone call away, 10 minutes later, you got the stuff. I mean, these days, you know, you can order drugs quicker and faster than you can order something on Amazon. How's that? Before you can order a pizza, even if they're late, late. The drug dealers, they're not late. They're always on time.
0: And they'll always deliver. Once again, I've got nothing against the drug dealers. I've got nothing against anyone, really. (laughs) What I have is a grudge against ignorance. Looking for the wrong
1: answers to real problems. So, even if you ever find yourself taking the wrong path, at least know that this is not the right answer. Do yourself that favour. When you go to a party and if you are going not out of duty, but because you enjoy it, do it, because you want to do it. But at least know that this is completely the wrong and utterly useless thing to do. Do it knowing that. Then you can still be a layperson, but be an upasaka. Because you want your companionship with the noble triple gem. But you know this is wrong. You still do it. It's like the lady there who does the drugs, but she knows that this is the damage it's doing to her. I know, you know, you can't immediately pull the plug on most things. Right? This happens over time. You've got to understand it, realize it, comprehend it. Right? All this has to happen over time. But you are now on the path. What I need you to do is reflect on that. Whenever you have to make the wrong choice, recognize that this is the wrong choice. Eating, sleeping, drinking, and doing the other thing is not going to help you solve any problems. They don't have the answers to life's problems. People do them because they're
0: lost. I mean, sensual pleasure is like a drug.
1: If we think they're addicted, when did you get addicted? Some people can't get off their TV screens. Some others can't get off their mobile phones. Others can't get off their alcohol. Others can't get off smoking. Others can't get off food, drinks, music, games, films. And the list goes on and on and on, doesn't it?
0: All wrong answers,
1: each and every one of them, wrong answer. I'm trying to help you understand that all of those choices you made were the wrong choices. So even if you find yourself having to make that choice again, at least realize that this is the wrong choice, that it's not going to do you any good, and then do it nonetheless. Because at least your conviction that this is the wrong thing to do will bring you back to the path one day. Someday, at least then you won't take pleasure in doing it. You'll know I need to do it, but I want to stop it. At least you'll find yourself there, stuck between necessity and you know what you
0: really knew, what what you know you really need to be doing.
1: This is why we put so much energy in trying to share the Dhamma. We try to explain to people that pleasure is simply relief from vexation. That understanding and that understanding alone can help free yourselves up from a great number of these problems, even if you think that this is a fixed thing. Still, if you understand that relief from pleasure or relief from vexation is the only source of pleasure, that in itself is enough to get you thinking and to start questioning the choices you have made and
0: you're about to make.
1: So don't forget the basics, don't forget your fundamentals, where we all started. Today I'm trying to convince you that this is not a pen, but this is only a pen. But don't forget that anytime you experience pleasure is nothing other than relief from vexation. It's all the same story. One day you will realize that that was not one teaching and this is another teaching. That this is not more advanced than what was taught earlier. This is all the same thing. Once we start connecting to the dots, you'll see. That the principles of vexation and relief from it and pleasure are the very same principles that govern your understanding behind this.
0: That I need you to rise up.
1: I need you to I need you to be there for yourselves. Be there for yourselves. I mean, at least, you know, one day a week, ladies and gentlemen, make sure that you put it put it aside for your salvation. At least one day a week. I know you're all busy. I know you all got things to do. Right? But all of that amounts to nothing at the end, doesn't it? It all amounts to nothing. See, they've got everything but they've got nothing. A man thinks he's got everything, but he's got all the wrong things. Tell me how much has he got? He thinks he's got everything, but he's got all the wrong things. How much has he got? Nothing. A man who's thirsty, he's in the desert and you give him a ton of gold He's got everything, hasn't he? An infinite amount of the wrong stuff equates to how much of the right stuff? Nothing of the right stuff. An
0: ounce of the right stuff equates to what? Everything.
1: You know, ladies and gentlemen, that having children was not the answer to your life's problems. Did problems reduce or did problems grow? Grow. Of
0: course. Tell that to your children, so that they don't make the same mistakes. Not to tell them that you regret having them,
1: but to ensure that they don't make the same mistakes. Now that you have them, act with metta this is a chance for you to f- help free another mind because at least they'll listen to you even if they won't listen to us they'll listen to you this is an opportunity to act with metta with compassion and loving kindness you know a child who's in your control who listen to what you have to say i mean we preach the dhamma to people but very few people listen to what we have to say because they're not obliged to there's no duty. They're not duty-bound to listen to us. But your children, they're obliged to. So there's, there's, there's someone in this world who when you talk, they have to listen. Huh? That's, a, that's, that's the perfect environment for someone to free themselves, isn't it? So you can actually do something. You can hold them by their hand, sit them down and say, listen, and I'm going to talk to you and you'll do exactly as I say. That you're allowed to do with your children. At least until they reach the wonderful age, the liberating age of 18. See what the world has done. (laughs) Hmm? Once someone is 18, now parents no longer have control over their children. Right? It's legalized. That's the law. You can't get your children to do whatever you want once they've passed that age. Now they're free citizens. They're able to choose whatever they like to do. So the only solace that they had, the only refuge that they had, by law, it is stipulated that they can now walk away from the only oasis that they had in this desert. Now you try and say something, they'll say, "Ah, I'm not here to take your orders anymore. I'm an adult. From now on, you listen to what I have to tell you.
0: Look at what we humans
1: have done to ourselves. You know, the only two people in this world who knew what was right for and right and wrong, because the only two people who loved their children unconditionally,
0: their right
1: to show right from wrong to their children is taken away from them at the ripe age of eighteen. Do you think 18 years is enough time for someone to mature? Do you remember you being 18? Huh? Do you remember being 18? Do you remember the choices that you made?
0: And the rest was history, right?
1: To this day, right, you suffer the consequences of the choices you made before 18 or after 18? huh. I don't have to spell it out to you, do I? That's the elephant in the room. You know what I'm talking about. All the choices that you have to suffer, the consequences of today, all those choices you made after 18 because your parents couldn't tell you what to do and what not to do. Oh yeah, of
0: course, yeah.
1: But even if you had an education, you know, if, that, if your education is the only thing that today has enabled you to get, you know, get yourself somewhere in life, earn yourself a living, that was because your parents told you to do that. They forced you to take the classes. They forced you to sit down and do your homework. Huh? Even if they didn't understand the Dhamma. Right? And they told you don't associate those people. Don't go out with those friends. What's in that bottle? You shouldn't be taking that. They confiscated that from you. Those things were the things that saved you to this day. It is thanks to my parents, I didn't take alcohol, nor did I take cigarettes or smoke to pick up smoking. It is thanks to my parents. Had I been at, a, at an age where I was able to freely take advice, life advice from my friends, then by this point, I'd be a lung cancer walking on two legs. Because my best friend one of my best friends at one point in life, he was a chain smoker. Many times he suffered me. And I said no. Every single time I said no, because my parents had instilled in my mind, they drilled into my mind, smoking is for losers.
0: I don't know whether they were
1: right or wrong, but that's what they had drilled into my mind. So this is not a... I'm not making a passing, a sweeping statement on anybody. This is not to insult or to offend anyone. If there are smokers in the room or out there, it's not to offend anyone. I'm just saying this is what, how my parents you know, instilled those things in me. But because of them, today I'm safe. So it's, it's the choices that we made after we found our freedom that actually made you lose your freedom. You know, I think there's only one choice in life that one should probably make <clears throat> with or without their parents' blessings. What do you think that is?
0: <laughs> Thank you, Madam. <laughs> with or without their parents' blessings. I think there's only one choice someone should make. And that is the right choice. Because every other choice is the wrong choice. So I need all of you, young, elderly, male, female, well-to-do, nothing-to-do, whoever you are. Embrace this. The only opportunity you and I and we all have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Everything else is just a, just a lie, just a delusion. Don't fall for those traps. You're never too old to fall
1: into bad companionship. Don't forget that. I'll say that again. You're never too old to fall into bad companionship. And neither are you too old to fall into
0: good, noble companionship.
1: We have people who come here at the age six, as well as people who come here at the age sixty. Are they too late? No, because every moment you have a brand new chitta, it's brand new. Never before has it come, never again will it arrive. It's here now. So when you come and sit down in front of me, right? it's a brand new chance to do something else with your life. Just because the previous one did one thing, doesn't mean the next one should do the same thing. It's a new start every single time, every single chitta, every mind moment is a new start, a new opportunity.
0: And consider yourselves in that way. Don't spend time thinking about your past. But learn from the past. Your past should be a teacher. not
1: a rod to punish you or beat you up with. It should simply be a teacher to take a lesson from. So you can better face the future. There may be lots of mistakes that you've made in life. Many wrong choices that were made in life. Maybe associating the wrong kind of people. You went into the wrong crowd. Maybe that one time where you lost your cool, you lost your temper, right? And you just had a go. And then, you know, from that point on, lots of things change in your life.
0: Maybe that is your biggest regret, perhaps.
1: You'll all have a biggest regret, whatever it might be. It features in every, every person's life, however big or small that might be, everyone has a biggest regret. But don't dwell in that. It's simply a teacher. Take a lesson from that and help it shape your future. Because it is not the events that happen to you that will determine or the events that happened to you in the past that will determine your destination in the future. It's what you do with them today. What we are about is to share with you the knowledge, the insight, the ways and means with which to evaluate, learn from those things that happened in the past. You know, we teach you the Dhamma and I ask you, you know, think about the things that you did and how might you do them today? This is what I always ask you to do because your life, you know, this is the lab of life. Your life is the best teacher, at least the best practical teacher. Here's the theory, but practicality you get from your, your own lives. So if I ask, you know, now, now we, these days we're talking about this fixed nature and not being able to separate and all that. Are you now indulging yourselves in pleasures? Is that all now, you know, it's, it's the old Dhamma sermons? Now you've completely lost the plot? Or are you still on track? I don't know. You don't have to answer, but I'll ask you the question nevertheless. Remember the TV that you said you no
0: longer had at home? Has it returned? Again, I'm
1: not saying that watching TV is bad. I'm saying watching the wrong thing is bad, especially if you're sitting down with your children. I mean, those days there were things that parents and children would never watch together, yeah. But nowadays, where are those boundaries? None. Because nowadays, you know, that's just become the norm,
0: doesn't it? It's become the norm.
1: Because if it's out there everywhere, then Where that is not there, it becomes uncommon. That becomes unusual. That becomes weird. So at the age of six, the age of five, six, you know, you have to bring your children up to speed. Children are brought to speed, brought up to speed, whether you like it or not.
0: The commercials do a fine job at that.
1: Leaves you nothing to worry about. Because, you know, every day, you know, they're in their laboratories, in the research rooms, trying to find out how can we get more of this stuff and get people to start younger. I'm not necessarily talking about drugs. I'm talking about absolutely anything. <clears throat> today, not today, next week, next Saturday, we're doing a special program for the Sivmagga students at the Dhamma at the, at the School. We're doing a drug awareness program. So, any student who comes along with Umaga will benefit from that, provided, of course, the parents want that. I mean, there could be the odd parent who might think, no, I don't want my children to learn about drugs. Let them learn from the best friend at school.
0: Hmm? So, we're doing a drug awareness program
1: for the senior students initially and we see how it goes, and then we do it for the junior students. Our monks have put in a great deal of time. They've come to me on several occasions. Maybe we went through the slides, we went through the stuff material many times over, just to make sure that we can give it in in a way that children can understand, to show them the consequences. Because when I took the idea to Guru Swami, he asked me, is there a point in doing this? I said, sir, if we don't teach them, someone else is going to teach them. Best we put ourselves forward. You know this, don't you? If we don't teach your children about drugs, someone else will. So with his blessings, we started developing a program.
0: Scouring the internet
1: for stuff like this. So there we're going to be talking about not just opioids, but alcohol, cigarettes, all sorts. So you better watch what you're doing at home. Your children will come and ask you questions.
0: What's that daddy in that bottle?
1: And once we do it here, we'll also be doing it for our online Zoom Aga students. So initially we'll do it in Singalese because I think there's, there's a lot of material out there for children who understand English. You know, there's plenty of material out there, but for children who don't understand English,
0: they need our help.
1: How some people behave when they're under the influence of alcohol, you know, grown-ups, parents, you know, with their children, but then they behave like animals. How they make a fool out of themselves. And we ask the children the question, do you want to see your father like this? But one of the biggest problems that they have is, you know, one time or the, sometime or another, someone's going to walk up to them and offer something to them. They'll not know what to do in that situation. So we want to we want to make sure that they know how to act in those situations. And the children will get a little card. That's our plan. On one side, there'll be a smiley face. On the other side, there'll be a sad face. Because if they can't find the words to go and talk to their parents, at least they can leave it on their bedside table at night. So we encourage the parents to go and put their children to sleep at night tuck them into bed, give them a goodnight kiss and say an So at least the last words they might hear are may the noble
0: triple gem bless you.
1: And then you can open the drawer or see on the, de- the desktop table what they have. If they've left the card sad face up, now you know you have a conversation to have the following morning. That is their way of inviting you to ask them a question. Because if you ask the question, they might be able to open up. But without you asking the question, they don't know how to start that conversation. Think about how many of you might have been abused at some point, molested in your lives. Someone did something that you didn't like, but you didn't know how to handle that, how to deal with it. Someone touched you. You didn't know what to do, what to say, who to go and talk to. Who was it safe to talk to? Is this something that should happen to me? You just felt dirty. You felt that you were, you were in, in the wrong. You felt embarrassed, ashamed. That's coming next. First the drugs, then we do that later.
0: Because drugs is a bigger problem right now.
1: I think every 9 out of 10 children will at some point in their lives, in the coming years, be introduced to drugs, not by a noble friend. Not by a real friend, but by someone who wants to get that stuff into your child's body so that they can make a living out of it. You know, at the street level, they're only doing it because they care. Hmm? Caring and sharing. That's why they do it at the street level. But what you don't see is what happens behind closed doors in high-rise buildings where you have the drug lords. These
0: are just the pawns.
1: But unlike violence, you know, drugs is not forced upon someone. You, you can't force someone to take it. You can mock someone. You can tell them, you know, unless you take drugs, you're not a man. Look at you. Are you a man? Then do this. Remember those days, many years ago, right, when smoking was, uh, became mainstream? If you ever seen some of the adverts back then, right, it was said, to be a man, you've got to be a smoker. You know, and then came a time where people realized that smoking kills, right? Potentially. And then they stopped selling cigarettes to underage children. So this is some of the research that we found in preparing the material to talk to your children. And then what the companies who are behind getting the tobacco out, what they then did was they changed their marketing, revamped the marketing, and then they said, We don't sell tobacco products to underage people. So if you are a grown-up man, if you are a grown-up, you you have to be a grown-up to buy cigarettes. That was done deliberately to put, there was a a subliminal message in there. And that was, if you want to be a grown-up, you have to be a smoker. So what do all children want to be? Grown-ups.
0: A fantastic marketing scheme.
1: <laughs> These days, cartoons, children's programs, they'll all have scenes of either taking a beer, smoking, or taking a puff, whatever. It's just rampant because it's become so common that you know no one's going to turn an eye. No one's going to frown at it. No one's going to blink an eye about it. It's just, it's just fine because now it's just commonplace. Smoking, drinking, all that is just commonplace. So no one's going to say anything about it. No one's going to bat an eyelid. But so And therefore, it's, it's just there. It's, it's everywhere. So we're going to ask the children today, we're going to give them a task, not today when we do the program next week. We're going to give them a homework. When you go home and when you watch TV, make a note of all the occasions, all the instances where you see someone having a glass of beer, right, or an alcohol, or a pack of cigarettes. You know, some cartoons, they are funded by tobacco manufacturers. They do it deliberately. In those cartoons, I don't want to name any. I think you'll know if you've grown up with them. In those cartoons, they will deliberately put in scenes where young people, elderly people, whoever, these are cartoon figures, but they'll smoke just to get children interested. So then they see an an adult smoke, and now they want to do that because that's what they've seen on, on TV. So then they start. You just, need, you just need to get someone started. Because it's an addiction, right? So once you start, you can't stop. If you can get past that point where it becomes an addiction, that's it. You've got a lifelong customer. So don't be so naive, ladies and gentlemen. The world out there is not your friend. They're not there to patch you. And to love your
0: children so tenderly. They're out there to get you.
1: I think the nursery rhymes even are so misleading. You know, what do children grow up thinking? You know, it's a, it's a beautiful world. Hmm? It's a small world, yes. And it's a beautiful world. It's a lovely world out there. So children go out thinking, ah, oh, everyone's just so lovely. That uncle just patted my head. He must love me a lot. Then he patted my shoulders. He must, he must love me even more. Then he went further south.
0: Must love me a lot. And then something happens, and then
1: that child thinks, now I'm dirty. Then they can't speak up. They can't, they can't say it to anybody, because they don't know how to. But we are going to help your children. You bring them here to see your mother. We're going to help them to come out with it, to go and talk to their parents. If they can't speak up, they'll have something on their bedside table. If that's got a, smi- a, a sad face on it, I encourage dear parents, ask them, Pratha, is there something you want to tell me? Ask them lovingly. And when they bring that card home with them after the Dhamma school, talk to them and explain to them, Puta, this card is there for me to help you. Nothing else. If ever you have a sad face on this, remember, I'm never going to shout at you. I'm never going to punish you. I will, love, I will love you like I've never loved you before. So if there's anything you want to tell me, you can always come and speak to me directly, but if you cannot, just have this card, face this side up on the table and leave the rest to me. I will look after you because I'm your mother. Because if the child doesn't speak up to you, folks, they will go and speak to somebody else about what happened to them. And they will be an opportunist. I can't say will, but might be. More likely than not. An opportunist. An opportunist who will go, well, if he said it once, he can have it
0: again. Soiled goods, isn't it? Second hand. This is happening out there. Believe you
1: me, folks, this is happening out there. You know because it happened to you. It happened to you, so you know. But you never got the chance to talk to anybody about it. It was always your secret. But when young children come to us, we sit them down, we talk to them when they're ready. We help them open up. And then they share their stories one at a time with us, one by one, one by one. Sometimes they tell us half of it, and then a month later they'll tell us the remaining half. And we just flush it out of them. For nothing else than to help them understand that it wasn't their fault. Because otherwise guilt, they fall into a guilt trap. And that just kills them from the inside. And they, no matter how much you try, they feel that you know, they're in the wrong. That it was because of their fault that something happened to them. We are gonna change that. For the children who come to us seeking our refuge, we're gonna change that. We can change that. And as parents, I want your help. Perhaps if you're a teacher, you might be able to introduce something like that in your schools with your children. Perhaps if you're someone who has a voice in your communities. Perhaps, you know, if, you're, if, you, if you know other parents, you could introduce that. A very simple method. Because the children aren't prepared to talk to you, you can talk to them. So the program will be to educate our young children about what's to come to them, so that we talk to them before someone else
0: talks to them. And
1: then, I hope you'll forgive me, but we'll have to say, for I trust no one. Speak to your parents. So we work on that assumption. Speak to your parents. If you can't speak to your parents, when you come back to the Dhamma school, speak to one of our monks or one of the Anagarika Mahabniers and tell them what happened. If you can't show your mother the card, come here and show us the card. And then we will help them. Because if you don't stop it right at the beginning, if they keep quiet about it, you know what's going to happen next time. Because, you know, usually they get threatened, don't they? If you speak a word about this to someone, that will be the last time you'll be speaking. They get threatened like that. So we are going to enact such behavior to them so they know what's happening. We'll have the child here and say, Buddha, now I'm going to show you what's going to happen. Someone will come and do this to you. Someone will say this to you. If you but speak a word about this to someone, I'm going to kill you. We're going to tell that to them so they know what to expect. So they know that's a threat. So they know what to do when it happens. So then we ask them, okay, now that that's happened, what are you going to do now? Card on the dressing table. Go speak to the mother. Go speak to the father. Because in in, in times of danger, it's what you have practiced that comes to you naturally.
0: So we give them that practice, what to do in those situations. So I'd encourage
1: parents to Bring your children along for that. We'll be making the announcements to the Dhamma school today. And Guru Swami Nasi will be mentioning it in the sermon as well. And if you want, you can bring your friends also. Even if they're not students of the Siv school, you can still bring them along so that they can learn what drug abuse is, what it's all about, how it happens, and what are all the influences that you have to keep yourself safe from and what to do in the event that you become a victim. But all that for one thing and one thing alone. Because as I said, you know, if you teach someone the dangers of taking drugs, it's only there with them until they die. And then after that, you've got to teach them again. So we are not, that's not our
0: intention really. Our
1: intention is, if we can save them from that until they come to the path of Nibbana now it's all worthwhile so in Maga, eventually, eventually you know, most children end up with us then it's easier to help them so sometimes we get invitations from schools to go and talk to their children in, school, in schools about drugs we're not all that keen about that
0: For one reason only. What's the point?
1: (laughs) Don't get me wrong, but what's the point? We can do a drug awareness program and the effects of that will last for how long? Maybe a month at most. And then what happens after that? Someone else will come and speak with a more, uh, with a louder voice, with a more convincing voice. And, And actually they'll have stuff. They'll have this stuff. Take this. Just try it, will you?
0: And then come back and talk to me.
1: So we can't have a lasting impact. That is why we're not so keen on going to schools, wherever, and you know, talking about drug prevention and abuse and all that. But if you come to us regularly, if you keep in this companionship, then we can make a change in your lives. So much so that, you know, Guru won't even allow us to go and do sermons here, there and everywhere. He says, what's the point? And he's so true. He's so right. That's why we don't go doing sermons here, there, everywhere. Because, you know, you get a gathering of people, talk to them for a one or two hours, you know, maybe three hours, four hours, whatever. Right? And then they go back to their own homes and they just carry on with whatever they've been doing up until then. Nothing's changed. Maybe a very small handful of people might think, hmm, where's that monastery? I want to go there. See what they have to say. A very small number of people. But the same energy, if we spend on you, on the people who come here regularly,
0: that makes a change. That makes a real change. That's impactful. That's more effective. I mean, this is the
1: Buddha's way. He gave the best to those who came to him. Whatever was left, he gave to the others. That was the Buddha's way. Because he knows, you know, this cannot be done in just one sermon. It has to be kept on saying. You've got to keep on saying it. You've got to keep on instilling it. Keep on drilling it. And besides, it's not just the Dhamma, but it's the environment that matters. That noble companionship, someone you can trust, someone you can share with, someone you can go and talk to, All that and the merits that you have to do in order to understand and realize that. Because you know there are plenty of people out there who are available to cater to all those requests. It doesn't have to be us. So we you know, this is this is the the point I'm trying to get across to you, ladies and gentlemen, is that we are here for a very specific purpose. We don't want to be a jack of all trades and king of none. We want to be the kings at one thing and one thing alone. Nibbana, that's it. Exclusively for aspirants of Nibbana. That's what we are. So we'll help you come out of drugs. We'll help you not take drugs if you want Nibbana. We'll help you break an addiction, whether that is to TV, games, pornography, food, whatever, if you're interested in Nibbana. Because that's the only time it's worth doing. (laughs) If not, you help a man come out, come break of an addiction or break free from addiction, what happens then? A few years later, he's back in it. Because if it's the environment that determines the outcomes, the behaviors of an individual, right, one day here, a hundred years out there, what difference have we, have we been able to make?
0: Now, I'm giving you the brutal truth, the
1: honest and brutal truth. That is why we don't take invitations to go travel here, there, and do sermons everywhere, because it's pointless. Virtually pointless. I won't say pointless, but virtually pointless. Only I mean, a very few number of people can be actually make come aboard. Perhaps some of you came that way. You know. you know, back then we used to travel all over the country, right, preaching sermons from one city to the other, from one village to the other, one town to the other. But today, you know, there is a sufficiently large number of people who come here, the likes of yourselves. There's an online audience as well. So, you know, I think we've got our hands full. And we create opportunities for people to come and stay with us. Because this environment is all that, this is, this is 80% of it is the environment. The rest 20 is in the words that we say. So give that 20 but not the 80, I'm not going to make a big difference. That's why you bringing your children here, you coming here, that is what makes the difference. It's not just listening to the sermons. Because when you're here, you have to put your understanding into action.
0: And then things start to happen. But when you come here, it matters not who you are.
1: Then we don't, you know, we don't, we don't vet you to check what your bank balance is or whether you're, you know, we don't care what background you come from. If you're here and you want to be on this path and continue on this path, then all are welcome.
0: So while you're out there, out
1: and about, do make sure that you continue to reflect on the Dhamma. Your contemplation is right. You address all problems the right way because the wrong answer will only take you along the wrong route and to a destination you don't want to be. But if you're there and then you realize, I'm here, then it will be too late. But you can change it now. And in those moments is when it all matters.
0: So last week, I wanted to talk to you about... Well, I opened up a box that I didn't want to open, didn't I? And then a few questions had come in and I thought, reading some of those questions, it, it's evident to me that the penny hasn't dropped with
1: some individuals. And that's okay. This takes time. So for instance, there was one question along the
0: lines of if the, the
1: deeds done by one jati. excuse me if the deeds done by one instance of jati
0: releases an energy
1: then why does it come back on another jati or another instance of jati and then there was a question that went alongside that that was if you say that this is simply a process of cause and effect then who is it that is reborn so, clearly, those
0: questions tell me that the penny hasn't dropped. But that's okay.
1: I mean, these questions come from our online listeners. You know, if, it's, if it's a challenge understanding it whilst you're here, then imagine what it must be, trying to keep their attention on an online sermon, watching a YouTube video and trying to
0: understand it that way. But that's
1: okay. You know, if I have to say this a hundred times, a thousand times, I'll say it until, until you understand it. And that is what we're here for. What else do we have to do, eh? Understand the truth and help others do
0: the same. I need you to make sure that you understand what jati is. Anything and everything that the Buddha preached, he preached something that was based in the principle of cause and effect. That is why he didn't speak of a self.
1: Because a self is not based in cause and effect. Take the simple example of looking or seeing an object through your eyes. Right? You see this, at this point, are you able to explain this through cause and effect? How you see this? Hmm? Are you all there? That's halfway. So, in very simple terms, here's an object, so the light falls on your retina, there's an electrical impulse that takes that to your brain, okay, and the brain then tries to interpret it captures a rupa, which it then drops on the mind, at which point a chitta is born, or we can say an instance of consciousness. You might call it a sight consciousness or eye consciousness. Right? And then there we have the rupa, the Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, and finally vinyana, or the perception of a pen. So you understand then that that process is all cause and effect driven, right? These causes lead to this effect, these causes lead to this effect, these causes this leads to this effect and so on. So if you take the whole process end to end, you have a cause and effect driven process, which is why if you were to tweak or take out, remove any one of those causes, now the process cannot complete because it is a process. Now, if that is the process, it is fair to say that the Buddha preached about how, how a sight is seen, how a sight is perceived because it is cause and effect driven. It is fair to say that the Buddha talked about it because it is cause and effect driven. Whatever Dhamma is based, whatever truths, whatever knowledge, whatever information, whatever facts are based in cause and effect, this is what the Buddha has preached. So that is why he would have preached about how sight is possible, how sight happens, how hearing happens, how smelling happens. Now, how does smelling happen? Not very different to how seeing happens. But what we need to understand is that it is a a cause and effect process. So why do we keep going on about this is a cause and effect process? Seeing is a cause and effect process. Hearing is a cause and effect-driven process. Uh, smelling is a cause and effect-driven process. Why are we going on about this? To begin to understand the premise that, well, then it's not, what's the, what is there for me to do in it? You know, the me that you all sense? I'm here, so what is there for me to do? Just imagine this, right? Say you're a team of three people, okay? I've asked you to come in here and clean this room. You're a team of three people. So all there is to do, imagine the chairs are all stacked up, so the room is clear, but you have to clean the room. In other words, you have to sweep it and you have to mop it. Okay? You're a team of three people. Two of them come in before you. One goes and grabs a broom. The other goes and grabs the mop. What's the question you're gonna ask now? What am I?
0: What am I supposed to do? What's there for me to do now? Exactly.
1: So you are redundant. You have nothing to do now. So you might as well go back and do something else. Because there's no cleaning here to be done that requires you because the two people that we need, one for the broom, one for the mop, have already taken their places, they've acquired the tools that they need to do the job, and they've started. So there's nothing for you to do. Do you understand that analogy? Right. Seeing. The process of seeing. There's the object. There's the eye. There's the optic nerve that carries that signal to your brain. There's the brain that can then capture that in some kind of rupa, which then it goes and drops on the mind. Right? And at that moment of contact, a chitta is born. The chitta arises and seeing has happened. Now, you have a question.
0: Gone. What is there for me to do? What's there for me to do? If, if, if you
1: were essential for seeing to happen, when I ask you not to see this, you should be able to not see it. Let me say that again. If you are essential, you, yourself, okay? If you as an individual, you as a self, you as this being that you sense is essential to seeing, then you must still be able to keep your eyes on this object with your eyes open, right? And your physiology all working fine without a problem. And when I tell you don't see it, you should be able to stop seeing. Can you do that? I'm talking to you,
0: the self, now. Look at this and not see it.
1: Can you do that? You can't do that. What is that proof of then? It is not you who's seeing. Because if it were you that was seeing, you can voluntarily not see. Yeah, so if it was object, I, uh, nervous system, mind, chitta, and me if all of these components were essential, if these were all the causes that were going to give you the result of seeing, how many causes must we have in place for it to happen? No, no, if all of them, so we have what? One, two, three, four, five, six, yes. So we'll need all six of them, won't we? Like say a fire, how many causes? Three, essentially, fundamentally three, right? So that is the flammable object, you need oxygen, And you need the right temperature. And you need what? The cat? How do we know that the cat is not a part of it? What is a simple experiment you could do? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And, And the fire would still happen, wouldn't it? So you have the three causes. With and without the cat, you can do a control experiment. right? With and without the cat. And the fire would still ignite. Which is enough scientific evidence for us to come to the conclusion that the cat is not a part is not a cause in the effect of a fire now let's look at this here you have the object you have the eye you have the nervous system you have the mind you have a chitta and you have this the me what is a control exp- what is what is an experiment we can do to check if any of these components are not essential for seeing to happen take out the object will you see Take out the eye, will you see? Take out the nervous system, will you see? How about the mind, will you see? And if a chitta wasn't born, when the, when the trooper comes into contact with the, with the mind, will you see? Will you? No. How about the me? Who do we know are these, but not this? Arahans. Don't they see? Of course they see. They see things better than we do.
0: Meaning, this is not a
1: component that is required for seeing to happen. That is why, you know, when the Buddha says, ditte dittamatta, to the one who was chief among comprehending the Dhamma, right, in a very short period of time, who was quickest to understand the Dhamma, what he said was, Daruchirya, seeing happens, there is nothing for you to do. That is a lesson, that is a lesson that is compounded within those those profound words. Seeing happens, there's nothing for you to do. And then Daruchira realized, well if all this is there and seeing can happen, then there's nothing for this guy to do. So why do I keep this guy? What is the purpose that this guy serves? So now Daruchira begins to think. As I want you to start thinking now. If these things are enough for seeing to happen, so above this line, if these these things are enough for seeing to happen, then what's this guy doing here? What purpose does he serve or does it serve? You don't need it for seeing. Well, what about smelling then? Might you need that for smelling? No, what, what components do you need for that? Again, object instead of eye. You need the, what did I say? Listening, hearing. Yeah, yeah, same thing. <laughs> okay, so you have the same things, right? And you have okay. hearing. And if you if you talk about smelling, again, just a change of one sense organ, and the same thing happens. So you have seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching. Ah, what about the last one? Thinking.
0: How does thinking happen? You have object,
1: then you have, you have the eye, you need the eye, you don't need any of that. You need the nervous system, you got directed to the mind,
0: and you have a chitta, and of course you need me, don't you, and you have thinking.
1: Now you can argue whether you need the brain for it or not, but. I don't want to bring that into this conversation for now. So if with or without this, this can still happen, then we can come to the fair conclusion that this is not a cause in this effect. If it's not a cause in this effect, then what purpose does this serve? Because we still have it, we still feel it, we still sense this, what purpose does it serve? Now we have a question. So, The Buddha then goes on to explain the four noble truths. Having said this, he explains the four noble truths because now people have this problem. Well, if this is enough for this to happen, what is this guy doing? Now the Buddha says, I proclaim the first noble truth of suffering. (laughs) I proclaim the second noble truth of the cause of suffering. And I proclaim the third noble truth of the cessation of suffering. And finally, I proclaim the fourth noble truth of the path to cessation of suffering. So now you have the answer to what this guy is. This guy is not seeing. This guy is not hearing or thinking or smelling or tasting. This component is what the Buddha came into this world to preach to us. This is what the Buddha came to us, came into this world to talk to us about. This is his first sermon. The Four Noble Truths. Talking about this. He talks about this because this is why people suffer. I mean, that is a fundamental problem that everybody has. When this is all that is needed for this to happen, this guy's hijacked it. And he's there in the middle, pretending that he's necessary for everything. I I say he, you know, it, whatever, right? He, she, it. I mean, what, what gender is this? <laughs> they? So this guy is in the middle, like, like he, it is necessary for, for things to happen. But it is redundant. You don't need
0: it. But it's still there. So if it's still there
1: and you don't need it, it's a, bother, isn't it? it's a bother, is it not? It's, it's just a botheration. You, you, know, you have a bunch of people you need. Like the third guy who came into this room. Hmm? One guy goes to the broom. To the, the other guy goes to the mob. What's the third guy doing? I'll tell you what he's doing. He's getting in the way. That's what he's doing. Because when you go to sweep, what must you ask
0: him to do? Move.
1: Huh? And then, when you want to mop, what must you ask him to do? Move. So, what's the only thing he's doing? <laughs> yeah, getting in the way. So, he doesn't need to
0: be there, meaning he's redundant.
1: So, <laughs> I ask you the same question here. What is this guy doing? Getting in the way. This process can happen jolly well without this guy getting in the way. So, the only thing that this guy does. When he he gets involved, he caused suffering. That is why the Buddha then goes on to talk about the dependent origination process, which you and I well know as the Patichya Because you see, he talks about seeing and he explains how seeing happens. Okay? He talks about thinking and he explains how thinking happens. If you ever find yourself turning the pages of a book of Abhidhamma, he he explains all this. How seeing happens, how thinking happens, how smelling happens, tasting happens. Basically how life happens. And then he talks about how this happens. Because he talks about how everything happens. Because he is the teacher who comes to teach us about how all conditioned things happen. That is why one of those days I said, you know, the best thing that I ever came across was the fact that this is conditioned. Best news I ever heard in my life was that this is conditioned. Without that knowledge, you think you have to live with it. It's like when people first had cancer and they didn't know they could do anything about it. You got to live with it. But, you know, the day... There is, imagine there was a disease, whether that's cancer or whatever, and then people one day find that, that, you know, that, that it can be cured. To find the cure, first you have to find the what? The cause, of course. If you
0: found the cause, then you're halfway there to finding the cure.
1: So the most important thing is to find the cause, which is why when he first proclaimed the first noble truth, he then went on to talk about the second noble truth. Here's the cause. So once you know the cause, and, when you, know, and you know that you don't, you, know, you don't need this anymore, then what do you do? Now you start working on it. So you're halfway there once you've identified the cause. Because realizing that it is caused by factors, that it is causative. Right? There, are, there are causes that bring it about. Now you're armed You are equipped. Now you have purpose. Now you can do something about it. So then you can start working on it. Which is where you become, you go on to become first a Sudhu Manusya and then you start to practice the virtues. You start to practice giving and charity and generosity and kindness and compassion and all the things that you do when you come here. Helping other people, being nice, being gentle, being kind and all those lovely things. Just softening yourself. You know, that is why the, all these, these virtues are, are really, you know, they're essential, ladies and gentlemen, for one to realize Nibbana. Right? We are strong believers in the fact that you, know, you can't attain Nibbana just by locking yourself up in a room or just you know, going and focusing yourself on some spiritual practice. It might be possible, but we take a very different approach. In our approach, we start by tapping away at this, rather than uprooting it like this huge boulder, trying to uproot it all of a sudden we soften it first and to soften it, we become selfless our actions become altruistic first it happens we we have to force ourselves to do it but as you continue doing it, it becomes easier so with every time you do something for somebody else that is why merits help you because when you do a meritorious deed, right? yes, there is part of it for yourself, even if you're not based in the Dhamma, but there's another part for the other person, isn't there? Imagine yourself with no understanding of the Dhamma, you've not heard a word of Dhamma, right? and you do a meritorious deed. There's still some for you and some for others, isn't there? So, at least let's say 75% for you, 25% for somebody else, that 25% you're not thinking about you, are you? That's the secret. Because every time you think about yourself, every time you focus on yourself, that self, it just keeps on growing. It keeps on being nurtured. You're nurturing it. That is why unmeritorious deeds are the worst thing that you could do if your destination is Nibbana. Because in an unmeritorious deed, you don't think about anything else or anybody else. The sole benefactor is who? Yourself if you kill is it is partly for the other person to benefit you kill a cow partly for them partly for you you get the you get the meat what does the cow get
0: nothing nothing if you
1: steal what's the benefit to the person you have stolen it from Sold it sorry stole it from or stolen it from what's the benefit Nothing. But you have little. You give what little you have. There's a benefit to you if you want more as you give. You could ask, you could wish for more, right? As I give this, may I have more? Fair enough. And you'll get. But you're still given. And there's a benefit to the other person in you giving. That benefit was not solely focused on yourself. It was focused on the other person. Somebody else by that much you didn't think about yourself therefore it helps you to stop focusing on yourself and focusing on and start focusing on becoming selfless so you see coming back to the point here this process does not require me so the question that came from one of the listeners was who is reborn you know if this is just a jati then who is reborn If this is a cause and effect process, then who does the cause and effect process impact was essentially their question. (laughs) The answer to this question is, you're asking the wrong question. For the very simple reason, for seeing to happen, you don't need to sense that it is you who is seeing. For smelling to happen, you don't need to sense that it is you who is smelling but you do nonetheless. You, still, you feel that it is you who is seeing, you, you, you sense that it is you who is feeling and smelling and so on. Right? The Buddha explains why you feel that it is you who is seeing. Shall I say that again? The Buddha goes on to explain why it is, why... The Buddha goes on to explain why you feel, or at least the mind feels, not mind feels, why the mind feels that it is you who is seeing. Because it is, of some, it, is, it is because of something that happens with the mind. It is not natural for that to happen. But nevertheless, it is driven by cause and effect. Even that itself is driven by cause and effect. And it is those causes that the Buddha goes on to explain. And very fundamentally, he explained it as ignorance and attachment avidya and trishna
0: what is ignorance your ignorance of this what is this
1: that you don't need you to see you don't need a self for seeing to happen that you don't your your lack of understanding that seeing is a cause and effect driven process Means you think that it is I who is seeing. Because you can't have both, right? You can only have one or the other. This is, these two things are mutually exclusive. Exclusive. Which two things? Here's number one. I am seeing. Here's the other one. Seeing happens. Those two things can't coexist. Yeah? So if ever you don't whenever you don't understand or don't realize that seeing happens because of a cause and effect driven process you think that it is you who is seeing. I mean, there's no other alternative. There's not a third option. There's only one or the other. Either seeing happens as a cause and effect driven process, or it is I who's seeing. So until you come across the Buddha's teaching, you think that it is you who's seeing. Now answer this question honestly as you can, right from your younger years, from the day you can remember. To the, day until, to the day when you actually got to listen to the Buddha's teaching. All those things that you did in your life, who did them? You did them. Did you have to force yourself to think that you were doing it? No. And what about the other things that happened? Somebody else did them, right? Either you did them or somebody else did them. So who had you? Your mother had you.
0: Who fed you? My father fed me. Who took you to school? My uncle did.
1: Hmm? Who taught you? My teacher did. Who helped you up? My friend did. Who knocked you down?
0: My other friend did.
1: So everyone, uh, you know, things that happen in the world, you had to give them a role. It was always someone who did something. Never could things just happen without a someone who was doing it. It, was always, it always had to be someone doing it. Right from you, the things you do, to the things that everybody else does. There was always a person who did it. There was always an entity. In other words, you know, this is why I, I, I like this word separation. I mean, I, I don't know how much you've actually grasped the essence behind it, the, the profoundness of this word, but not necessarily the word, but the meaning behind it. You know, separation is where things happen in this world, but you separate it into different packages. Excuse me. You separate it up into different packages. Things happen. So it's like, you know, see, this is something that's about to happen. Didn't expect that to happen. So, could you, sir, please?
0: Thank you kindly. So, who dropped it and who picked it up? You have answers. You have answers, don't you? Yeah. So I Amin mean, I dropped it. And this fine gentleman picked it up. But the truth is, things happened.
1: Sankara happened. What is sankara? Actions. Actions happened. But you have to separate those actions. You see, one action you said was done by me. The Swami Nuhansi did it, so you put it into the Swami Nuhanse's box. The other action you put into this gentleman's box. So you say this action belongs to this gentleman and this action belongs to this Swami Nuhansi. That is how you compartmentalize Sankara. In other words, you separate Sankara. You can't help it because separation happens in your mind. Whenever you see a Sankara, whenever you perceive a Sankara, it has to have an owner. It has to have someone it belongs to. In much the same way that a rupa has some has to have someone it belongs to. Now, this is my hand, with which I dropped this, and whose hand picked it up, the gentleman's. So that hand or that rupa, which is after all what parvyaapotejo ayu, is a pure octet. If you take it to a chemistry lab, they'll tell you it's hydrogen, carbon, oxygen, nitrogen, and so on. But that combination. Of those elements, you said belong to this gentleman and another combination you said belong to me. So you can't help it. That's why even if I were to chop my hand off and I had it dangling on the table, you'd still say, swaminas you've got your hand dangling on the table. What happened? You can't help yourself from thinking that that is something that belongs to me. If I gave you a box full of hands, a disturbing thought, yes, <laughs> but imagine I gave you a box full of hands, OK? Can you put yourself in that you know just imagine yourself, what would be the first question that comes to mind? Whose are they? Because hands have to what belong to someone? Hands have to belong to someone. Hair has to belong to someone. Skin has to belong to someone eyes have to belong to someone because that is why one pair of eyes looking at you you feel excited another pair of eyes looking at you you feel threatened Mm. if I ask someone that that is a loved one in other words a pair of eyes that belong to your loved one to come and look at you like this you'll go But if a stranger, or, the, or a pair of eyes that belong to a stranger, looked at you like this?
0: Hmm? What might you say? Or oh, are you staring at me? It's rude to stare. Won't you? Does it not matter whose hand is holding your hand? One hand and you go
1: and you, 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 hold, you tighten the grip. Hmm? So, you know, if someone held your hand and I, if I ask you the question, someone's gonna hold your hand, what are you gonna do? You have to ask me a question before you can answer that. Yes or no? Oh, of course, whose hand? <laughs> I say your mother's.
0: Now you tighten the grip. I say a stranger on the bus. You don't tighten the grip, you might clench your fist. Or you might pull your hand away and even give a frown. Excuse me. Excuse me, mind where you put your hand please. See? But all there was, was a touch. A
1: touch. How is a touch made? Object, body, nervous system, mind, chitta, touch. But something else happened. This guy got into the middle. And when this guy happens, he looks up. Because what's his purpose? Separation. That is all he does. Separation. Dukkha is another word for separation. You know, what you, say, what you sense right now, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know how, how successful I am in trying to explain this concept to you. What you sense as a, as, as a self is essentially a separation. That is why I always call it as an identity. What is your identity after all? How would you describe your identity? An identity is what separates you from somebody else, isn't it? The details that you have on your identity card are used to prove that you are you and nobody else. Long time ago, remember, I asked you a question in one of the singular sermons. I put it on the board. And I asked you, how might you describe yourself? And then you gave me some wonderful answers. You said, "Uh, the food that I like to eat, the places that I like to be, the, the songs that I like to listen to. The games that I'd like to play. And we put them all on the board. And then we gave them names. I don't know if you remember that activity that we did. So we said one was Tom. The other was Harry. The other was Mary. Whoever. Right? And then so, so we gave them names. Ultimately, all we'd done was package up things that belonged. My games, my music, my food, my house, my car, my son, my daughter, my name. Can you talk about me without talking about mine? Can you? No, so me is mine all packaged and bundled up, isn't it? In other words, separation. See, when you say something's mine, when you say this is mine, who else owns this? Tell me. When I say this is mine, who else owns this? Simple answer, no one. Meaning from all the pens in the world, this pen is mine and mine alone. In other words, I have separated this from the universal set of pens. So if this was a universal set, remember those Venn diagrams from school? What diagrams were they?
0: Hmm? What diagrams? Venn diagrams. See? If this is the universal set of pens, these are my pens. And any pen that is here does not fit in this box.
1: Meaning it doesn't belong to anybody else. But does the pen know this? Does the pen know this? No, then who knows this? Only I know this. Aren't there things in this world that only you know that is yours? Hmm? Isn't that why it's such a big problem? So when someone comes to take it, you have no defense. Isn't that why if there's something that's precious to you, you have to go somewhere conventionally and all agree that it belongs to you? Sign a piece of paper? Hmm? And say and have someone to sign as
0: evidence <laughs> as well? Remember doing that
1: on the Porua. Because only you, you knew it was yours. <clears throat> so it wasn't enough for that to happen. You had to have a gathering of people to come and witness. This is mine, okay? This is mine. Please, all bear witness. This is mine. Don't anyone take it. If anyone some come, comes to take it, please be there on that day so I can tell them, no, no, you were all there to witness that this was mine.
0: <laughs> so
1: even, when, even the object doesn't know that it's yours. Hmm? when even the object doesn't know that it's yours, what validity is there in your saying that something is yours? That is why I say this separation is purely a perception. That perception, giving you that perception is, the, is what that, that need us. The perception of separation in a world where there is no separation, in a world where everything is the same,
0: Everything belongs to everything.
1: It's a universal set. That's it. We can draw these boundaries, but those boundaries are all self-made. Conventionally, you and I, we have things, you know, this is my robe, and another they will have his robe. And we'll put a mark on it so we know whose robe it is. So we do that. That is conventionally. But convention is one. The absolute understanding is something else. It is not convention that brings us suffering. Do you understand that? It is not convention that brings us suffering. It is
0: your misperception that brings you suffering.
1: So what is Jati? Jati is is something that happens to the mind. When that happens to the mind, the mind begins to perceive that all things that have been happening to it up until that point. What all things? The object, the eye, the nervous system, the mind, right? All things. I mean, you would say this is my object, this is my eye, this is my mind, this is my brain, this is my nervous system, this is my chitta. Every part of it is tainted. It's like if you took a bucket of water and put some clothes into it, and you dropped some blue liquid into it. What happens? The whole thing goes blue, doesn't it? Not a single shred of, uh, not a single thread is, is, shared, is, is spared. The whole thing goes blue. In the same way, when jati happens, when separation happens, everything that it touches, you perceive as separate. That is why you can't help seeing each other as separate individuals. That is why there are your things and their things, my children and their children. I asked you this question the other day. You know, if I asked you to give up your child, take your child to, a ch- to the orphanage and pick one of, the, the, one of those children and bring them home with you, are you willing to do it?
0: <clears throat> hmm?
1: As a mother, take your child, replace or swap with the child in the orphanage and bring the other child home, right? And then feed the child, look after the child. Just as you did everything for your own child, do it for this child. You can't do that. Why not? Because this is my child. Where's the my part? That's not in the child. In fact, there are children who don't know their mothers. <laughs> The only reason you know your mother is why? You did a DNA test? Hmm? No, because someone said so. Yes or no? You didn't do a DNA test. It's just because someone said so. So you see, then your mother is simply a convention, isn't it? The fact that this is my mother is a convention. You accepted someone's word. You never wanted to go and do a DNA test. But that doesn't stop you from feeling that my feeling, does it? So based on someone's word, you wholeheartedly enwrapped your mother as my mother. And those emotions that came with it, the love, the affection, no, the, full, the whole set of emotions, all based on, what, based on what one person said, this is your mother. <clears throat> It's not like you said, well, I'll, I'll half believe it's my mother, but the rest, remaining half, I'll believe after I've done a test, a DNA test. You didn't do that. So based on someone's word, you are willing to accept a lady, a woman, as your mother. Fully, completely. And then you will love her to the moon and back. See? In other words, that, what that means, what I'm trying to convince you here is, you don't need evidence. You just need a drushti meaning a convention. So this is why, you know, you can separate things purely based on convention. It doesn't need evidence. It doesn't need, it doesn't need to be based on fact. If you separate in your mind, then the whole world is separate. So that is jati. The, fact, the, the ability to do that, happening in your mind, is jati. When jati happens, this is a disease. The jati is a disease of the mind. When that happens, you see the whole world as separate and now you have belonging that plays a part in there and then, be, and, then, and then following on from that, you have all the other vexations that come along with it because what you know is a fixed thing. You either want to be yours or you want not to be yours. So either you will fight for it or you will flight for it. One of those things you'll have to do. So one is called the other thing is called one of these th- those, pardon, one of these two things have to happen Because you separated it. If it was not separate, then what? Piehivipeyoga, what? sampayoga what? You can't have that conversation. That is why Jati Pachaya and the Buddha goes on about the old other things: Jara, Marana Shoka, parideva and so on. Death, decay, you know the decay of what? Remember the other day we said, you know, all there is are configurations of stuff. When a configuration changes, we give it a conventional name. Young and old. These are just configurational changes. ABC is one configuration. BCA is another configuration. So one we call old, the other we call young. That's it. It's simply a configuration change. But if we don't see it that way, we think that ABC has become CBA. A fixed thing has aged. Young
0: has become old. And then what is death? BCA. So you have young. ABC. You have old. BCA. And you have dead. CBA.
1: If you don't see these as simply configurational changes of Rupa, this is what became this is what became this. Meaning the young person aged and the aged person died. What happens when death happens? We cry. Why? Because it's this person that died. What we don't see is that configurational change that happened. This is why later on this person goes on to become A, C, B. It's no longer a person. It's a carrot
0: or a pumpkin. And then someone will eat the pumpkin. Now what do you have again? A young person.
1: Even if we understand the the cyclical nature of this, even when we understand the science behind it, we still feel, you can't help feeling, that this is what happened to this, this is what happened to this, this is what happened to this, and then the pumpkin became the person again. That separation still happens in the mind. That is why it's like, it's like a, you know, when you wear colored glasses, you see the whole world in that color. You can't help but projecting that, that separation onto outwardly material things. So your liberation starts by recognizing that this is what's happening in your mind. That is, if you, if you can accept that, ladies and gentlemen, you move from ignorance to wisdom. That's why I said, you know, if you have to do the things you have to do at home, going out to eat into the restaurants because you enjoy it, going to the parties because you enjoy it, having an ice cream because you enjoy it, singing a song because you enjoy it, do it, but recognize that this is not the answer. Every time you drink salt water, if you are thirsty, it will only make you thirstier. In the same way, every time you go on separating, every time you go on seeking pleasure, every time you're in vexation, you're only going to vex even more. Knowing that, go ahead and do it, be my guest. Don't do it without knowing that. My purpose here is simply to inform you and educate you that this is what's going on. Eventually, your merits will take over and transform this knowledge to an understanding, to a comprehension, to an enlightenment. Merits will do that. But for beginners, I want you to, whatever you do in life, do it with this understanding. That is the biggest favor that you can all do for yourselves. So, are there any answers outside the Four Noble Truths? Are there any answers outside the Buddha's teachings? Well, you've seen what happens to people when they look for answers outside the truth. So, promise yourselves, not me, promise yourselves. That is why I make you make that promise every morning before we start. This is a pledge. This is an oath. It's an affirmation that you make to yourselves. The truth and nothing but the truth. The truth will set you free and anything else will only entrap you in samsara. I can't help you if you don't acknowledge and accept the truth. All I can do is give you the truth and you're here because you want the truth. I admire that and I respect that. Take it, instill it within your lives and give as many other people that you come across in your lives as much as you can. So once again, we have the Drug Awareness Program, not, next, not, not today, but the following Saturday. So that's next Saturday. And you're welcome to, Well, I encourage you to have your children take part in that. And even if they wish to bring a friend along with them, that's still okay. So we'll do it for the boys first and then Anagarika uh, Mahatmyas will prepare themselves to do it for the girls also. So we're doing the drugs one first and then later on we'll do the abuse one. So there we'll talk about not just physical abuse but also psychological abuse such as, you know how you started watching porn, right? Your best friend showed it to you. That's how you were introduced to it, your best friend. But you didn't know that that was wrong. You didn't think that it was gonna cause you harm. Because one drushti is easy to put in, but it's incredibly difficult to take it back out. Incredibly difficult. One drop of blue liquid can turn the whole bucket of water blue, but how easy is it to take it back out? Virtually impossible. You need a Buddha to come and perform a miracle for that. That's why what we want to do is to try and not get people into those addictions. We have people who come to us, Anagarikas, they come to us, they confess, Swami I need help. Help me. Help me break from this addiction. And we give them love, tender tender loving care, we give them the Dhamma, we give them a great environment to be in, noble friends to be among. And then they break free from those addictions. Because we give them the Dhamma, we give them the truth. But until that point, they feel that they are entrapped, they have no choice, helpless, destitute, and whenever the urge occurs, what they normally do is they just keep on feeding that urge and it becomes a vicious cycle. One leads to the other, leads to the other, leads to the other. It's a rabbit hole. And before you know it, you know, your whole life becomes that. If we can stop that, which we can, by helping our children understand that all that they say about it is not the truth and how it can lead to disastrous effects in life, And how these things are just, you know, people glorifying things unnecessarily. By doing that, we can save them from abuse as well as teach them when to say no. When to turn back, go and talk to their mother, go and talk to their father and say, Amma, this Ayah showed me this today at school. What am I supposed to do? And if they can't say that, at least show that piece of paper, show that card. Put that card on the bedside table so that the mother can ask a question. Put that, what's wrong? Something, something the matter? Did something happen at school? If you start asking the questions, they'll come up with the answers. But they don't know how to start. That's the thing. They they can't pick up the courage to start. Maybe the first time they're experiencing that. So they they can't find the energy, find the right words to start. That is what we're helping them to do. In addition to teaching them the consequences of some of these actions. Right, so finally, we have the sermon next Sunday, which is the 4th of June at Gateway Rajgiria, which we talked about last week. So you're welcome. But more importantly, if you can bring along newcomers to the Dhamma, we'll be starting from afresh and it'll be conducted in English, of course, for newcomers to the Dhamma and the place where it's convenient for most people. Right, so with that, we conclude today's talk by transferring the merits. Let us all take a moment then to transfer the merits that we have all acquired by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirit, listening to the Dhamma, and engaging in various meritorious deeds today. First and foremost, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching. And with immense gratitude, let us transfer these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. There is also the means we have acquired to all members of the Maha Sangha present throughout the world, including the three prelates of all of the chapters who have dedicated themselves to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. Let us not forget that among them are the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. Let us also transfer this medics to Guru Saham in as well as all the other teachers resident at the monastery and the Anagarikas and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us take a moment to transfer this medicine and express our gratitude to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others or inviting others to join them, and may by the power of these merits, if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plain. May through the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sadhu Sadhu Sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits we have acquired to our devotees and friends of the monastery, who for the sake of merits continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who contributed to the construction of the monastery to those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines, as well as those who pass down their know how and continue to extend their well wishes. May, by the power of these merits, they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble Eightfold Path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all take a moment to transfer merits to our mothers and fathers, husbands and wives brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, nephews, cousins and nieces, our elders, friends and acquaintances, employers and employees, and to all those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in any way, shape or form. And by the power of these, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nirvana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer the merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Deva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who are committed to protect and fulfill the Sasana. Let us transfer these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye lie over us and keep us out of harm's way. And may by the power of these merits, they prosper in divine power and wisdom. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of nibbana. Sadhu, Sadhu, Sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer mails to our ancestors who have predeceased us, and to all those who've been families, friends, and acquaintances in this infinitely long journey of samsara and to those who've helped, supported, and assisted us along the way. Let us transfer these menace to the members of the armed forces, as well as the police force who've sacrificed their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nations. And may all those who have lost their lives in the war be their friend or foe, rejoice in the merits we have acquired today. Let us transfer these mails to all those who have lost their lives to natural calamities such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides and pandemics. Reminding ourselves that among them will be those who have been friends and family to us in this long journey of samsara. Let us take a moment to transfer these merits to them, and may by the power of these merits they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us all resolve that may by the power and blessings of all the merits that we have all acquired today, we we'll be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land, and finally, may you and I. And everyone who's helped make this program a success, become an Arahatan Mahanse and an inuhansi, in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. May the blessings of the Noble Triple Gem be with you all. The members of the Maha Sangha will now transfer their blessings
0: to you. <coughs>
2: Dveshagin nang nidetn va Mohagin Nibbana Param Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vedma Mamada Siyalu Loka Siyalu Satma Yo Nibbana Param Sukhayan Sukhita Tara Vedma Nibane paren sukayen sukita tare vetnwa Nibane paren sukayen sukita tare vetnwa Desha Gini Niveva Moha Gini Niveva Nivan Sapa Laveva Nivan Sapa Laveva Nivan Sapa Laveva don't run ye, Susian, Silu Lok, Silu Satayoma, a